When I was a kid growing up, I was taught to say, Lord willing, if the Lord wills. And those of you from this part of the country who may have grown up near the same time, I didn't know what the rest of that phrase is. Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? And those who go, what does the creek have to do with it? Uh, well, there was a time when a lot of people had to cross the creek to get to the, get to the church or maybe even to get out of their house. Uh, they had to cross the creek. Uh, and of course, whether the creek rose or not was also dependent on the Lord willing. That was, uh, so it's, it's all about the Lord willing. Uh, you aren't promised tomorrow. Not at all. I mean, uh, regardless of the, of the notion that you're supposed to get your 70 years, I, you know, I just wonder, does anybody actually ever read the whole psalm rather than just pull a, a, a phrase out of a verse here and there I- anymore? Uh, no, you aren't promised any. You're not promised tonight, for that matter. Last, uh, last week... We asked the question, answered the question, whose life is it? And uh, it's your life. Uh, But your life on earth is comprised of an unknown number of units of time. And it's all borrowed time. All of it is. None of it is something you own. All of it is something that is on loan to you. And, and I'm getting ready to say something that uh, you don't usually get something this good this early in the sermon. But, uh, but, but, uh, but I'm, gonna, I'm just letting you know so that you'll be prepared, you know, for those who aren't quite into it yet. Uh, so, so I may have to say it twice. Uh, no, it really is that good. If you want a better life, the first, of course, of course, a better life has to do with God, first of all. But in terms of the way this is fleshed out, in terms of the way it plays out, if you want to, the first step to a better life is making better choices with the time that you have. That was, see, I told you. So I'm going to say it again. The, the first step to a better life is making better choices with the time that you've been given. You are not a time lord. Some of you may think you are, but you're not. And for those of you who don't know anything about Doctor Who, don't worry about it. But for those of you who do, he's not a time lord either. It's pretend. It's it's just made up. But you are a time steward. That's what you are. You are a steward of time. That is, has been given to you. Time belongs to him. Over in Genesis, God said, let there be lights in the, in the vault of the sky. Let them separate the day from the night and let them uh, sep- mark off seasons and times and days and years. He's the one who set the, he who lives in eternity is the one who set time up. And God has started. It, it belongs to him. And so the psalmist says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days, and let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure, even those who seem 
healthy, even those who seem young. Time doesn't belong to you, but what you do with time belongs to you. What you do with the time you've been given is totally up to you. It's, it's, your, it's your choices. You can't control every aspect of, of, uh, of time in your life, but you can control your choices. And most of your choices are comprised of ordinary days. Just ordinary days. This is, what, this is when I get up. This is what I do. This is, this is, how, this is how my day goes. When I, was, uh, when I was in college, I was in a play called A Time of Your Life. Uh, and you probably haven't heard of it because it was a naturalistic play, and those didn't really catch on very well. Naturalism uh, on the stage is if it takes 20 minutes for it to happen in real life, it will take 20 minutes in this play. There's no, you know, and on the following day or, you know, uh, three hours later. No, it just, and, and this, uh, this show, it all took place in a bar, so I don't know, none of you have ever been in one of those, but I, I was in, in, uh, in a play that had one, so I know about it. And, uh, and, uh, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. It was like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> no, it wasn't about anything. Nothing happened, but everything happened. Everything happened. People came in, people talked, people left. People came in, people talked, people left. That's, that's what life is. Arwen, uh, our daughter at, at, at Margaret's service, talked about the thousands of ordinary days that she got to spend with her mom and how they became special days. The ordinary became special. You know, we, we tend to think of, uh, we, we tend to, think of great personalities and we, we focus on, uh, wow, really incredible things happen in their life, special things. Abraham. Abraham. Abraham's about as big a deal as it gets in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament. You know, obviously Jesus is the biggest deal, but right behind him, Abraham and Moses, that's, the, I mean, they're neck and neck or something. And, but we probably only know about maybe a couple of dozen days in his life. And he lived 175 years. And so what happened that other 63,000 days mattered? In fact, what happened that other 63,000 days or why those couple of dozen days we know about, we know about them. You know? David, uh, you know, uh, David, we probably know more about David really in his life than really any other Old Testament character. And we, we maybe know about 100 days in his life. I don't know, maybe something like that. And he only lived to be 70. Okay, and we can get our, we can get our, our minds around that. Uh, but we don't know what happened the other 25,000 days. And they're the ones that set up the hundred days that we know about. So what do we do with our time? What do we do? What is an ordinary day about? What should it be about for a believer, for somebody who, who's trying to make better choices, wants to have a, a better life? Well, there, there are some, some biblical uses of time that we might want to look to. And the first thing that would occur to some people is, I, I know what verse you're going to use. I know where this is going. Yeah, 
As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We're, we're supposed to work. Well, yeah. We're supposed to work for God. What does that mean? Uh, what is the work that God requires? Over in John chapter 6, that question specifically is asked. There's a, the group that Jesus fed the 5,000. Uh, I don't know that all 5,000 of them, but many of them the next day found him. And he said, well, you're only here because you want more food. Now, don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that endures to eternal life. And they go, well, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answers the question in kind of an unusual way. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work you're supposed to do. We hear the word work and we, we dive right in or we run away from it depending on how we're, we're kind of wired, but we, we dive right in. I mean, we know, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out there. I'm going to do some work for God without stopping to consider what we should be doing. We think because we're doing, we're working. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And we think because we're working that we're doing God's work and that's not necessarily the case either. Uh, Jesus told a parable about uh, a man that had two sons, and he went to the first one and he said, go work in the vineyard today. And his son said, nah, I don't want to. Uh, and so he said to the other one, uh, you go work in the vineyard today. He said, yes, sir. But time went by and the one who said, no, nah, I don't want to, actually went and worked in the vineyard. And the one who said, yes, sir, I will, uh, went and did something else. Well, we don't know what he did. He might have gone and fixed a wagon or something. He might have gone and done some work. But Jesus said, which one of them did what his father asked? The one who said it? The one who did it? The one who actually put it into practice? So when we think, okay, well, the work of God, the work of, it must be something spiritual. Uh, uh, fasting. Yeah, I'm, oh yeah, I need to be... I need to be fasting. That's, that's the work of God. Uh, so, you know, we won't eat something or, so, or something. And, and uh, over in Isaiah chapter 58, uh, God is talking to a bunch of people who, are, who, have, who have their own ideas about what the work is that they're supposed to be doing. And they're fasting. And God says, you, you complain because I don't hear you on the days that you fast. And it's because you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. Let me tell you what kind of fast I require. This, this is what I want you to do. I want you to loose the chains of injustice. I want you to, to untie the cords, break, break the yoke of the oppressed, uh, free them. Share your food with the hungry. Don't just not eat. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter, no matter what country he comes from. When you see the naked, clothe them. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Woo. Not sure what that means, but that stop and think about it. That might hit somebody pretty hard. This is the kind of work that God requires. This is what he, this is what he, this is what he wants. I read a quote the other day. Uh, somebody quoted on something. 
I just know it wasn't Facebook because I don't really look at that. It might have been Instagram or something. And they, it, was a, it was a quote about how you can't enslave a Bible-reading people. And I went, aha! That's why we're a country of idiots. We don't read the Bible. And we don't. We get all upset because, oh, they won't, they're not going to let the Ten Commandments put in a public place. You got it in your home. You know, uh, uh, the only reason that that's your favorite part of the Bible is because it, it doesn't take long to read it. That was better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know, as, as you get older, you just say what you think. We aren't a Bible reading people because that's not the kind of work we want to do. That's not the kind of work that we would, that we would like to, to be involved in. Oh, you know, Pastor, I, I just don't, I don't read anything. Well, that's another problem. But you need to read the Bible. And, and, and you know, and if for some reason you can't, you can't read or, or whatever, you know, listen to it. Get, get, get something there. Work doesn't always have to look the way, doesn't always look the way we expect. You know, when a child is playing, they're working. They're actually working. They're learning how to be an adult. They're learning how to build things. They're learning how to, hopefully, to work with other, other people. They're, they're, they're actually working. Oh, that reminded me. You know, uh, when, whenever we do a song and we have lyrics, those deep, meaningful lyrics in it, like la, 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 la. That's actually something. That is. Uh, uh, it's called jubilating. That's what it's called. And it's one of those times when you're just kind of going, yes, yeah. Uh, God did not create his children to subject them to child labor, but to be yoked with him. He says, when you are, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And if our yoke isn't easy and our burden isn't light, have we come to Him? Because that's what happens when you come to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I, I used to hear how important it was to carry a burden. Pastor, I'm carrying a burden. And, you know, and, it, and, and, it was, and, and in some sense, it was kind of like my burden's bigger than your burden. Uh, <laughs> You know, there was just sort of that, sort of that sense. Of, why? Why? I believe the work that I'm supposed to do is to take my burden and cast all my cares on Him. Because He cares for me. To everything there is a season. I've heard that somewhere recently. <laughs> uh, however, some things are, are, are really always in season. Uh, Always a great investment. Maybe not in season, but always a great investment of your time if you, if you want a better life. And so uh, very quickly, I want to uh, touch on, on, on a few of them here, biblically. Uh, the first one is, is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says, rejoice always. Yeah. Rejoice when you're playing UTC. Rejoice when you're playing Alabama. That's right. And it... <laughs> 
And the passage goes on to tell us that this is God's will for you. This is what God wants you to do is, is, is rejoice always. Uh, Philippians 4.4 4 says, Re- rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You kind of go, well, pastor, you're, you know, you're kind of an up person. You're real optimistic and uh, you know, energetic for an old guy. And, uh, you know, so I get it why you, no, it, it doesn't, uh, uh, that, that doesn't, that's not, I'm not the one telling you this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Uh, I'm just telling you what the Holy Spirit inspired somebody to write to you and to me. And it, it's rejoicing, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, that immediately precedes the passage that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything giving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, and, and when you read that passage, it's kind of like, be anxious for nothing. Boy, how do I do that? Well, go up a verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and maybe you'll understand how to not be anxious about things. Uh, you know, I kind of feel phony when I'm rejoicing. Well, we're not talking about a manic display. You know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, jumping up and shouting or something, although that's not necessarily a bad idea. But the kind of rejoicing that, that just gets up in the morning and says, oh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That's, that's something to re- rejoice about my heart rejoices. It's a, it, 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 it's a reminder of the hope, the, the faith, the trust, the assurance that we have in Him. And it's a great investment of your time. The next verse says to uh, pray continually. Uh, when I was, uh, when I saw that, that quote about uh, can't enslave a Bible reading people. It also kind of put me in mind of, of another direction because, you know, I've, I've heard it said, and, uh, and I've said it myself, you know, the problem with this country is they took prayer out of schools. They took the prayer out of schools and things just started going downhill. And you know what? The problem of this country is not that they took prayer out of schools. The problem of this country is that we took prayer out of our homes. We took prayer out of our lives. Do your kids know that you pray? Or did they know? You know, I, and I, I'm, I'm not, well, I'm not belittling it. I'm not just talking about now I lay me down to sleep and God is great, God is good. You know, those things. Do your kids know that you talk to God? That you ask for God's input? into the things that are going on in your life, that, that, you, that you talk to Him whenever you've got a situation going on, or that you just talk to Him because He's there. And that's what someone who loves God does. Do they, do they know that? How, how do they know that? Uh, my friend Phil Nelson uh, uh, was telling me one time when he was in Bible school, this guy came and he and he taught some special classes. And oh, the thing about this guy was everything this guy prayed for happened. And, it, and they were all just amazed and kind of blown away. And 
one day in one of the classes, uh, they asked the guy, so how do you get how do you get that kind of prayer life going on? And he kind of surprised them. He said, well, first of all, I never pray over five minutes. And then secondly, I never go over five minutes without praying. Oh, pray continually. You know, sometimes it just helps to talk about it. Just helps to talk about it. And yeah, it can help to talk about it with your friend, with your buddy, with your neighbor, with your, your sister, your, your, your brother, your cousin. It can help to talk about it with your daddy. Just tell him what's going on. Let's talk. And then uh, the next verse says, give thanks in all circumstances. This isn't the same as rejoicing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Good investment of your time. Really good investment. Uh, I, I mentioned this several weeks ago. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not have been here, but uh, it, it has brought me no end of comfort to thank God for Margaret. When, when she first passed, uh, you know, for over 40 years, she'd been the first person on my prayer list every day. You know, God protect her. God give her success. God give her favor. God walk with her today. You know, how, how do you pray for those things for somebody in heaven? I don't know what to pray. And then I began to realize, God, thank you. Thank you for Margaret. Thank you for all those years. Thank you for the, thank you for the deposit that's been put into my life. And, and then, I, you know, as I mentioned also, I mean, several weeks later, I heard myself saying out loud, this is my life now. But that simply ended up transitioning into this is my life now. Thank you. Thank you. It's still rich. It's, it's still full. There's, there, there's been so much put into it. Thank you. Give thanks in, in all circumstances. When uh, I have a friend I went to high school with whose wife passed away about 18 months before Margaret did. In fact, I went to high school with both of them, with he and his wife. And, uh, uh, and so Hank and I would talk quite a bit during, the, during that last six months when we knew about Margaret. And Hank would, Hank would always say, every day together is a good day. Every day together is a good day. And you know what? Every breath is a good breath. Every breath is a good breath for the, for, for, for the first three months. I, I, I couldn't make it through a song without crying that had anything about breath in it. You know, with every breath, I will praise you. Oxygen. What's that oxygen song? Oh, man, that was, yeah, you're my oxygen. And I, and I just kind of fall apart because of how much she would struggle with it. Every breath you have is a good breath. And every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. So give thanks. It's a good investment of your time. It's a good use of that breath, as well as that, that moment that he gave to you. A couple more things. We'll close this out. Um, Hebrews 4.11 says this, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He's talking about when the Jews came out 
they were invited into uh, of Egypt. They were invited into God's rest, and they refused to go in. Refused to go into his rest. The disobedience was that they refused to enter rest. I was reading Isaiah 28 this morning. Uh, and actually, I, I would do that sort of thing even before it was my job. Uh, but I was, I was reading Isaiah 28 this morning and, and came across uh, verse 12. Uh, it, that, that chapter is about judgments on, on Israel. And verse 12 is the one who explains why these judgments are coming. It says, because I, I said to you, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest this is, the, this is the place of repose, but you would not listen. Part of your job, part of your work, part of what a good use of your time and a, and a, and a step to a better life is to rest. On the seventh day, God rested, but we feel like we can go longer. Our pace is such that unless you intentionally and I mean intentionally, rest, you're likely to find yourself stretched and stressed to the max. I'm just out there. I, I, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I was, I was 50 before I began to recognize what stress looked like and felt like. And what it looks like and feels like is when your wife says, you're awfully stressed. What do you mean stressed? <laughs> what makes you think I'm stressed, huh? Talk to me about it. Come on. I'm not stressed. That's a clue that you might actually be. It, okay, you, you know, I, I said the thing earlier about this is important. You don't usually get something this good early in the, in the, in the sermon, and you all remember what that was, right? There'll be a quiz. <laughs> okay, here's another one. You have permission to do nothing. It is okay to do nothing. You kind of go, well, I don't know if that makes any sense. Have you ever tried to talk to someone who was doing something? Look at your husband. Have you ever tried to talk to someone and they're going, I'm, I hear you. I'm listening. You can look back at me, Connie. <laughs> no, you need to stare at Wade for a good long time on this. <laughs> uh, you know, no, I'm, I'm listening to you. I got it. You know, have you ever tried to talk to someone who's doing that? God does that all the time. And he wants you to stop and listen to him. Because until you do, you're not listening. Are you only listening with a little bit? Well, the rest of it's focused on what you actually want to do rather than the work that God requires. And part of the work that God requires is just stop. Just rest. Do it intentionally. Do it regularly. Okay. One more. How about this? And this isn't rejoicing either. This is praise. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I really think those who don't press in 
to praise or missing out. And, and it doesn't look the same in everybody. I don't mean that everybody's got to, you, you know, um, dance and move and, and, and uh, but press in. You know, I mean, some people, uh, some people, you press in with your mind and with your heart. It, you might not actually be doing anything on the outside. Now, for me, I got to do something on the outside. But, you know, for some people, maybe not. But, but, but press in and get there and, uh, and hear. I mean, yeah, I, I know that sometimes it's hard to get here on time. And, uh, but sometimes people don't get here on time because they kind of go, that's uh, just that. I'm not really interested in that part of the service. This is the time and the place in, in your week, in your life, where you have total permission to press into God. Don't miss it. Take advantage of it. You, you, use it. Whether you're going to sing loudly or whether you're going to meditate, you know, that this is the time that you have permission to do that. You say, well, I might not feel like it. I mean, things might not be going. This psalm right here, Psalm 34:1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Right before it, there's a, and this is part of the psalm. There's an explanation for when this song was written. It was written when David had to pretend to be insane before a Philistine king so that he wouldn't get killed, and he got booted out of his home, didn't have any place to live. I will extol the Lord at all times. So what was your week like? And this isn't an, an, an OCD thing. This isn't a, you've got to go around and say, praise Jesus, praise God, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, it should be right here, right, right. Right below the surface, should be in here um, at uh, at the service. Rhonda, one of the things that she said Margaret taught her was that praise God isn't just a throwaway phrase, and it's not. It should come from here. It should come from right here and work its way up and come out in the spirit, and it should and it should be there, ready, yeah, at any time in any circumstance in our lives. How do you get there? How do you get to the place where you, you know, you just feigned insanity and some of us didn't have to feign it in front of a, in front of a, a foreign king and got booted out of her home? How do you get there where you can, you can say that at the, at the end of that? Well, maybe start by investing some of your time in rejoicing and praying, giving thanks. Resting? It's your time. He gave it to you. It's, on, it's borrowed, but it's yours. He gave it to you. If you want a better life, you need to make better choices with how it gets used. Well, one more thing. There is a time Lord. Actually, there is the Lord of time. That's what, that's what he actually is. Special times do come. Special times come in all of our lives. Sometimes they're enjoyable special times. Ooh, we're, we're getting married. Ooh, we're having a baby. Ooh, we bought a house. Ooh, I've got a new job. You know, those, those are special times. 
You know, uh, and, and sometimes they're they're hard special times. You know, I've lost a loved one. I got a bad report from the doctor. I lost my job. You know, special times come. But all of your times are in His hand. All of your times have been ordained, and they're in His hand. He has prepared you, especially if you especially if you will do the work that He requires in the ordinary times. He has prepared you. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that is lurking out there for you, He has prepared you for such a time as this in your life. And there's somebody else there in the fire. 